something to just kind of gloss over and just begin become something that we say. But I, I really am thankful that this world is not my home, and uh, there, there is a far better. Um, land awaiting me tonight and I'm so thankful for that I'd be kind of mad if all it was was this life and uh, but we're gonna talk about that a little bit tonight in first uh, Peter chapter number four if you found or find, yeah if you found your place I haven't give you a chance to yet although if you've been here for the past several Wednesdays you know where we're going so anyways but I sometimes the Lord will throw uh, throw a wrench in there and I'll go somewhere completely different but not tonight it's gonna be first Peter chapter number four because last Wednesday um, we started looking at this section of verses here and and I got two two points of my four points preached and well, we'll see how far we get it tonight. So First uh, Peter chapter number 4, when you find your place, let's stand in honor and reverence to the reading of the Word of God. I want you to notice in verse number 1, the Bible says here, uh, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for, for this cause was the gospel preached also unto them that are dead, and that they might be judged according to the men, or according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Thank you for standing. You can be seated tonight. Now, last week I already mentioned we began looking at these verses uh, on the thought of advice for the Christian life, and that's what we're getting right here in my Bible. I've got a paragraph heading of chapter number four here, these first 11 verses that uh, uh, that is entitled Living for God, and it gives us a lot of good advice on how to live our lives and how to live for God in these days. And uh, the fact of the matter is the devil's always looking to trip us up and he's waiting for us to let down our guard, to drop our weapon. And when we do that, let's just say we get a little weary and, and uh, we stop just to rest for a little while. And, and the bad thing is, is when we do those things, he is going to attack us. He's, already, he's always ready. The problem is we're not always ready. And, uh, and so here's the thing, the devil doesn't stop just because you get saved. People have this idea that they can get saved and all of a sudden everything is great. Well, no, it's, it, it, I mean, things are great. I'm glad, you know, I've got a home in heaven waiting for me instead of uh, hell awaiting for me. I now have a home in heaven and those things are great. But what I'm talking about is life now is not necessarily just peachy and, and, and rosy just because I got saved. As a matter of fact, in many, in many aspects, it is more tough. And, uh, and the reason being is now you, as a Christian, have two uh, desires and two wills that are within you, and they war against each other, they fight against each other. That doesn't sound peaceful, does it? 
And that's what the Bible tells us the Christian life is. It likens it to a boxing match. Now, I'd say that's, pretty good, that's a pretty good uh, explanation or a pretty good illustration of the Christian life because uh, I'll be honest with you, that's what I feel like I'm in half of the time. And why is that, though? Well, it's because, uh, you know, the devil, he can't, you know, if you're a child of God tonight and you get saved, he can't have your soul and thank God for that. He can't, he can't have my soul. My soul is not for him anymore. It is, it is sealed until the day of redemption, the Bible said. It is saved. It is secure. And I thank God for that. And so, no, the devil can't have my soul. He can't drag me to hell after I'm saved. But he's going to do whatever he can to ruin my testimony. He's going to do whatever he can to ruin my reputation. He's going to make sure that, that he does everything in his power to make us a reproach on the name of Jesus. And man, you look around and there's a lot of people that he has done that to. And that's sad. And so understanding these things, knowing this, the Holy Spirit gives us some practical advice in these verses on how we should live the Christian life. And last week we made our way through verses number one and number two and saw two of the four pieces of advice that we are given. Number one from last week, we are told uh, in verse number one to stay armed and we arm ourselves with Jesus Christ and with his mind, with a vigilant mind, the Bible says uh, there in verse number one. And then um, and then in number two last week, we are told to stay aimed, stay aimed. We need to stay aimed so we don't waste our time. And, and the thing about it is the devil's got a lot of us wasting this life. He's got a lot of Christians out here that, that are doing everything else but what they need to be doing. And uh, he's got us so busy that we can't keep focused on the important things. And so we need to stay aimed, the Bible tells us here in verse 2. And uh, stay aimed, number one, so we don't waste time. And number two, we need to stay aimed because we have a worthy target. Well, preacher, what's the danger in not, being, not staying aimed? Well, the danger is you miss the target. What's the target? It is, according to verse, uh, verse number two, the will of God. Our lives, our goal, our aim should be to live our lives in the will of God. Everything we do, we should be acceptable. You know, the psalmist prayed and said, let the, uh, uh, you know, talking about his life, talking about his words, he said, let them be acceptable in thy sight, O God. And so what is our aim as a Christian? It ought to be to not bring a reproach upon Jesus Christ, but to lift him up and to glorify him uh, while we're in this world. And uh, we even got into that a little bit last Sunday night talking about ambassadors in 1 John. Isn't it amazing how the Bible just all runs together? Uh, I mean, you know, some people might say, well, he preached the same thing on Sunday night as he preached on Wednesday night. Uh, well, not entirely. I preached out of two different passages. Maybe the Bible's trying to get a point across. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so... Um, 
And so uh, uh, we need to stay aimed. So uh, let's go ahead tonight and get into number three, and we'll see how far we get here. And Because uh, I've got two more points down through verse number 11. And so uh, here's the third thing that we need to be, all right? This is the third thing out of this passage that we need to be uh, to live the Christian life. And number three is stay adamant. Stay adamant. We need to be unshakable and unyielding. That's simply what adamant means. And people are adamant about all sorts of things in our day. Well, guess what, y'all? If we're children of God, we need to be adamant about what we believe and who we are for and what we are against. I mean, we need to be adamant in these days. We need to be unshakable. We need to be unwavering. We need to be unyielding. And uh, in the eyes of God, it is important for all of us to embrace a righteous stubbornness. Yep. You can tell everybody your preacher actually found a good thing having to do with stubbornness. We always look at it as something really hateful, don't we? Uh, you know, oh, they're stubborn as a mule. Well, and, and sometimes we even preach out of the Old Testament on how on on how uh, God even told the children of Israel they were stubborn as He called them a bunch of heifers and uh, and uh, talking about how stubborn they were. Well, sometimes it's actually good to be stubborn. I mean, when it comes to something right, we need to be stubborn. We need to have a righteous stubbornness. And uh, as Christians, we should cultivate a spirit of grit and determination tonight. We need that. We've, uh, uh, we've had a lot of Christians that are just plain lazy. And uh, there's been a lot of things that has happened in our society. Uh, you want to know why? Because the Christians kept their mouths shut and they laid on the couch instead of getting up with some grit and doing something about it. It's just the truth. And, and so uh, this steadfastness will empower us to overcome challenges and hey, stay strong in our faith. Sometimes uh, I've, I've even uh, put it like this. I told my wife one time I was going through some stuff and she was asking me, I said, well, I'm going to be all right. I said, I'm just spiteful enough uh, to try to make the devil mad because I don't want him to have the satisfaction of knowing that he got me down. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. A lot of us, uh, I mean, I, I ain't saying I do that all the time because I ain't perfect. None of us are. But too many of us just lay down and take it when he comes around and we allow him to use us for a door a doormat. But we ought to be, we ought to have some stubbornness and say, no, hoss, you ain't doing that to me today. Y'all have all heard people say, not today, Satan. And uh, I am full. Yes, I am for that. I need me a t-shirt. It says, not today, Satan. And so uh, where does that come from? Well, it comes from some stubbornness. We need to make, I mean, nothing makes me happier than knowing I made him mad. I'll just be honest with you. I don't want him to get one over on me. And I'm not saying that, that uh, I'm better than him or I'm, I, you, you know, you got these people that have a, have a, a unhealthy disrespect. I'm not like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying when he comes at me and tries to discourage me, I really like to stay as strong as I can. The Bible tells us to stay strong in the Lord. And uh, the Bible tells us, I was talking about allowing uh, the devil using us for a doormat a while ago. You know, the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. And one of our problems is we don't put up a fight many times. 
And so uh, we need some stubbornness. It's fascinating to consider how God's intervention of uh, Saul of Tarsus's life, you think about him, or, or Paul as his name uh, is in the New Testament here, in tra uh, God transformed him from a murderer to a missionary. And the conversion, though, I want you to understand, it more than likely didn't alter his personality significantly. Uh, you see, Saul was... From the get-go, a very educated man. He was a very smart man. He was very headstrong. He was very zealous. And uh, he appreciated the truth. And so uh, I'm sure uh, reading about his life and we see uh, his history here in the New Testament, we know that he was still steadfast. He was still unwavering. He was still uh, hard-headed even after his conversion. But those same traits helped him in his Christian life. And so uh, here's the thing. He remained steadfast. He remained determined. And uh, he demonstrated his resilient nature, nature even after conversion. Here's what he did. He changed sides. He quit working for the enemy and got on board with Jesus. And so with an unwavering conviction, he embraced the divine calling on his life. He remained steadfast in fulfilling God's will. He, he was undeterred by any amount of suffering, by any amount of hardship. And sadly, today we have too many wavering Christians who are blown about with every wind of adversity. A little bit of harm comes their way or a little bit of tough times come their way and they just want to sit down and say, well, it's all over that's not what Paul did that's not what the disciples did that's not what we have examples of in the Bible times were tough but when times got tough they kept going why because they were stubborn they weren't going to sit down and stop and you know why they wouldn't? Because we can't. There's no room. There's no time to sit down and stop. And I'm going to get in a text in just a minute. But uh, here's the thing. Psalm 62.2 says this. It says, he, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. And the Bible says in Psalm 16.8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. And so that's, you know what we need to do? We need to dig our heels in and be unmoved when it comes to fiery trials. God will get us through them if we, uh, God will get us through them when we stay determined to fight the good fight of faith. At the end of Paul's life, we read that he was uh, a, a good and faithful servant. He was ready to be offered. You want to know how you get to that point? We hear it all the time. We hear it preached. We hear people say, well, I just one of these days I just want to I just want to hear well done that I good you want to know how to do that? Get some determination about you and stick out the fight. And so when it comes to staying adamant, there are a few things we find in these verses that will help us do just that. So let's look at them. The first one is we avoid past associations. Look in verse number three. The Bible says, for the time past of our life. So what is it talking about here? Well, if you back up to verse 2, look at what it says. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. So we have changed sides. We are now living our life as Christians to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to live out the will of God in our lives. That's how it should be, at least. 
And so then look in verse 3, it goes on and it says, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness. Now that's a $5 word. Yeah. It's a $5 word, and let me explain it before moving forward. Lasciviousness is simply this. It's lewd, animal-like behavior. If you want a better illustration or a better definition of that, turn on your TV. And pretty much everything going on in our society can be labeled as lasciviousness. Let me get a little bit further in there. This is how the world chooses to exist. And you want to know why everybody's acting like a bunch of animals nowadays? It's because they've been, they have spent their lifetimes hearing that that is all that they are. Y'all know how evolution teaches, right? I mean, from a young age, our public school system is teaching evolution. It's teaching our children that they aren't anything but animals. Amen? They tell us that we evolved from monkeys. The last time I checked, monkey was an animal. They want to go further back than that and say something about uh, uh, primordial good, which is a bunch of hogwash. But look at our society today. Do you really expect people to act any different when that is what they're told that they are all of their life. Furthermore than that, abortion and the way that everything is working now, they just want to uh, they just want to turn murder into something called a choice. And by the way, if nothing happens, guess what's going to happen next? It's called euthanasia. I mean, this stuff never goes in the right direction. It just keeps going down, 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 and down. And you know what? I'll go ahead and call it. Next step in all of that, if the Lord don't come back, will be just like Hitler was doing in Nazi Germany. Well, we have a race of people that are not up to par with everybody else. So we must cleanse our society. Of, you want to know who our society would cleanse first? Christians. Because we're the ones holding them back. Or so, or so they say. And you want to know where all this came from? It came from a man by the name of Charles Darwin. Do you know, it makes me mad when these philosophers have enough nerve to call the Bible the most racist book in history when the very teachings of evolution came from the most racist book in history. It's amazing how our society is. They talk out of both sides of their mouth. Everything that they say is a complete contradiction of something else that they say. They want to say it's bad to be racist. I agree with that. And they want to say, well, you're born racist. I don't agree with that. Racism is nothing that was born. It's a social construct. If man, and you want to know where it came from? It came from a man named Charles Darwin. He's taught, it, it, it makes me mad, I got I to get off this soapbox, I got to keep going. It makes me mad for somebody to look at me and say, you're a systemic racist because you were born white. It makes me mad to know that they're getting that teaching from our school system, which is teaching philosophy and creation from a man named Charles Darwin, which blatantly said in his book on the origin of species that the black race was a subspecies of man. 
You want to know where racism came from? It's coming from the same garbage that they are promoting and teaching in our schools. And they've got the audacity to tell me I'm racist and the Bible is racist. That's how messed up everybody is. As a matter of fact, because I just said that, they'll probably pull this off of Facebook and YouTube. It's all... We need to tell the truth. It's worth dying for. So let me get on here. Lasciviousness, $5 word. Living like an animal. Animal-like behavior. And that's where we're at. That's where people are at. And I just had to go on a 10-minute rant about why people think they're animals. But anyways, in a barn full of cattle, there is no shame and there is no morality in behavior. So that's where we're at today. Everybody thinks they came from animals. They act like animals. And that's one of the reasons why there's no shame anymore. You ever heard anybody that you probably say to yourself, man, people just ain't got no shame anymore for nothing. And they don't. You know why? Because of a $5 Bible word, lasciviousness. All right. We need to be careful. Let me get back on track here. We need to be careful about people in our lives that would hinder us. That's what it's talking about our past life. When we were dead in trespasses and sin. And see, here's the thing. The Bible tells us a lot about people that can hinder us. I mean, there's very much proof that people hinder us. In Galatians 5, 7, the Bible says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? In 2 Corinthians 6, 14, the Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? You know why? They don't mix. They can't mix. We might think if we go back and associate with the past crowd that we can influence them for good. But And I, I get that. But science proves otherwise. You take a bucket of clean water and a bucket of dirty water and you mix them together, you don't end up with a bucket of clean water, do you? You've heard the old saying, one bad apple spoils the bunch. Well, you don't put one good apple into a bushel of rotten ones and all of a sudden the rotten ones get better. No. So here's the point. If, you are, if God has changed your life, then stay out of the world's bushel basket. Be a witness. There's a difference in sharing the gospel and in being a witness uh, to, to these people and letting them know that you love them and you care about their soul. There's a difference between that and drinking with them and going to parties with them. And... Y'all understand where I'm coming from, right? So the second thing that will help us stay adamant is found in verse number four, and that is Get accustomed to present accusations. Just get used to it. Look at verse number four. It says, wherein they think, who's they? It's the people from the past life. They think it's strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. Let me just put this in layman's terms today. That's when a person gets saved and all of a sudden their friends want to look at them and say, oh yeah, you're just too good for us now. No, I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I can't partake in the things that you, oh yeah, yeah, you're just holier than thou. Pharisee. Y'all ever been in any of that? 
I'll throw you one that'll throw you for a loop. I've had friends that done it, and they were so-called Christians. So it's like I said several weeks ago in one of the messages I was preaching, talking about finding a balance and sticking to it. If the, if the liberal crowd calls me a Pharisee and the legalist crowd calls me a liberal, then I'm right where I need to be. Because <laughs> here's the thing. Whenever God's work is moving forward, there's going to be some friction. There really is. Billy Sunday used to say, if I'm rubbing the fur the wrong way, then turn the cat around. <laughs> I like Billy Sunday. Here's the thing, y'all. When we embark on our spiritual journey with Christ, it is absolutely inevitable that we are going to encounter opposition. If you don't encounter opposition, I'd be worried. And this opposition serves as a fiery trial. It serves as a test of our faith. It serves as a test of our commitment to living a godly life in Christ Jesus. Just because I don't do the same thing you do does not mean that I'm better than you. Just because I don't do the same things you do does not mean I think I'm better or I think that uh, I'm just on some kind of higher plane. Don't blame me. I'm just trying to live for God. I'm no better than anybody else. The only difference, I, I stood in a guy's, I thought he was going to punch me. Oh man, I ain't never been so scared in my life trying to witness somebody. I thought he was going to punch me. I tell you how God can turn it around though. The man ended up hugging me and saying he liked me by the end of the conversation. But I didn't back down off of him. He got mad because I told him God didn't care what he did. He just loved his soul and he wants to see him go to heaven. And he got mad. He said, who do you think you are to tell? You don't even know what I've done. And I said, I don't need to know what you've done. I said, it's not an issue. I said, the issue is whether you're saved or not. I said, there's nothing you can do that will keep God from forgiving you. He got mad. He was going, I mean, he, yeah, I ain't never been so scared in my life. I got mad at my daddy-in-law. He was there, and he turned around and ran off and went in the house. I was like, thanks for the backup, Craig. <laughs> He's going to let me get a bloody nose myself out there. I guess he thought, well, <laughs> Holy Spirit will take care of him. I don't know what he's thinking anyways. But here's the thing. Sometimes it don't matter what you say. People's going to get mad. We live, in a, we live in a time where people are offended at everything. They're offended at what you do as much as they are offended at what you don't do. You simply can't make people happy anymore. I've never seen anything like it. But here's the thing. Psalm 31, 13 says this, For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side while they took counsel together against me. They devised to take away my life. Proverbs 11, 9 tells us, An hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, but through knowledge shall the just be delivered. And you know, oftentimes the people that should be most supportive of us are the ones that will resist us. Family members and friends who know us well will sometimes criticize or make fun of our Christianity or our stand for Christ. And I'm going to be honest with you, that's exactly who gets to you the most. 
has been true in my life and several other people I know. It's the people you'd never think about are the ones that end up criticizing you and breaking fellowship. It's sad. It's sad. You know what my advice tonight would be? The best thing to do is to just stay close to Christ. You know why? Because he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the one that will never leave me nor forsake me. He's the one that's going to stand by me no matter what. Hey, you live your life to please Jesus and you don't have to worry about the rest. You don't have to worry about the rest. Here's another thing that will help us stay adamant. I'm not going to get past one at this point. point I guess point number four come next week. So here's another thing that will help us keep, stay adamant. We find it in verse 5 and 6, and that is be aware of future accountability. You want to know what will help you stay unmovable? Stay away from your past. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Get used to the way people are going. Hey, just go ahead and mark it down. People are going to talk about you. They ain't nothing better for some, I mean, I, I remember Leonard Ravenhill, uh, the interview he did before he passed away, the, this guy was interviewing him to write a biography about him. And uh, he looked at him and he said, he said, Mr. Ravenhill, he said, how do you respond to all of these preachers and all these people that saying you are just way too serious? He said, every time you preach, Mr. Ravenhill, it's a convicting message. You never joke around when you're preaching. You never laugh. You never, you know, you're always just so serious. And I mean, that man got criticized more than, I mean, just over that. And uh, Mr. Ravenhill looked at the interviewer and he said, well, I just look at it like this. When I stand before Jesus one of these days after I die, he said, I highly doubt Jesus is ever going to look at me and say, Leonard, you took me way too seriously. He said, I don't believe Jesus is ever going to say that. And he said, so I don't worry about what those guys say. I've got a call from God on my life. And one of these days I'm going to stand before the God that I've preached about all these years. And he said, that is my drive. That's why I do what I do. And you know what? That's so true. That's the third thing that will help us stay unmovable here. And that is to be aware of a future accountability. Look in verse number five and six. The Bible says, Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. And Daniel Webster said this, he said, the greatest thought that can occupy a man's mind is that one day he will meet God. Yeah, Solomon wrote something similar to it in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, in chapter number 11, verse number 9, he said, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. He said, Go ahead. Go ahead, rejoice, let your heart cheer thee, walk in the ways of your heart, in the sight of thine eyes, but don't ever forget, you're going to be judged one of these days. 1 Corinthians 3.13 reminds us that every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. You know, knowing that we are going to give an account to the Lord one day will help us stay adamant.
It will. Our Lord is our wonderful Savior, but he is also our judge. He is the one we will face one day, and when Christians face the Lord, it will not be a time of clowning around and goofing off. I believe it will be a very serious, sobering time as we answer the Lord's questions and we realize that we have not done but could have done for him. The focus of our lives should be faithfulness to the Lord no matter how difficult the task is, no matter uh, what the results are. It doesn't matter uh, how hard we labor. Uh, Our lives should be faithful. That's what we should strive for. When it comes to Lord work, you know, you never know what's what's being accomplished though or what's being accomplished through you and those things that you do. That's why we must stay faithful. That's why we must not be deterred. That's why we must be adamant because you never know the power that your life is and the influence that you have on people. Uh and because most of the, I mean, I'll just be honest, most of the result of our labor is unseen. The results of our labors will, sometimes it'll come after we're gone. Adrian Rogers says, now, dear friend, not only is a day of reckoning coming and a day of recognition coming, but thank God there is a day of reward that is coming. He said, the Bible teaches here that the Lord is going to recognize those who are his own. He's going to judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead, and he's going to reward his own. We just need to stay adamant. Let me give you a story and I'll be done. There was a, I was studying for this. I come across this story. An elderly preacher was rebuked by one of his deacons one Sunday morning before the service. By the way, the devil always loves to do that. Not only does he know how to discourage somebody, he knows when to send them at the right time. And uh, in this case, it was through a deacon uh, right before the preaching service in this man's church. Here's what the deacon said. He said, Pastor, something must be wrong with your preaching and your work. There's only been one person added to the church in a whole year, and he's just a little boy. Be like, all right, you go sit down. <laughs> and man, Satan loves to use people without a brain to lower a bomb on the preacher right before he gets up to preach. <laughs> so the pastor graciously listened. His eyes moistened and his thin hand trembled. I feel it all, he replied to the man. But God knows. I've tried to do my duty. On that day, the pastor's heart was very heavy as he stood before his flock, and as he finished his message, he felt a strong inclination to resign. He was feeling pretty low, and the deacon made him feel like an absolute failure. After everybody had left, the one boy that was saved that year came up to him and asked, asked, he said, Do you think if I worked hard for an education, I could become a preacher? Perhaps even a missionary, maybe. Again, tears welled up in this pastor's eyes, and he said, this heals the ache I feel. He looked at him, he said, Robert, I see God's hand now. May God bless you, my boy. Yes, I absolutely think you will become a preacher. Many years passed away, and an aged missionary returned to London from the continent of Africa. His name was spoken with great respect and great reverence, and 
Nobles and dignitaries invited him into their homes. He had added many souls to the church of Jesus Christ, reaching even some of Africa's most savage chiefs. He translated the Bible into the Setswana language. He also was the father of ten children. And out of those ten children, his daughter named Mary was married to uh, the great missionary David Livingstone. Another son named John became a missionary at a mission station in uh, Kuruman, and his grandson named Howard became the prime minister of southern Rhodesia. The name of that aged missionary was Robert Moffat. And he was the one boy that was saved in that church. The same Robert who many years before had spoken to a discouraged pastor that felt like a failure on Sunday morning. And you know, may God help us to stay faithful. That pastor never lived to know all of that. But what a blessing. What a blessing. And, you know, we hear stories like that all the time, and they're not made-up stories. We hear about the connection between D.L. Moody and Mordecai Ham and, and different people Sunday school that led down to Billy Graham even, and all of those stories I'm sure you've heard before. I've probably told you, but uh, we hear that. And here's the thing, until we take our last breath, may we be faithful because we have no idea the impact that we're having on somebody's life. To you, it may seem like nothing but a little paper track you're laying somewhere, but who knows who's going to pick that up? Who's going to read it? Who's going to weep their way to salvation? And who knows? And the fact is, we don't know. And that is why we must do it. May we never underestimate what God is doing in us now and will continue to do in our service to Him. May we leave the results of our labor to Him. That is so hard to do. But God help us to just be faithful. Here's a definition for life, y'all. Life is our opportunity to meet God. That's all life is. You know, it's an opportunity to meet God. It's not about making money. It's not about being successful. All of that stuff will remain here in the end. As the great missionary C.T. Studd said, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. And that's so true. May God get a hold of us and get a hold of our hearts tonight. I'm done. Y'all stand it. Bow your heads, close your eyes, Miss Stone, come play for us softly, please. This altar's open.